Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in. It is episode three of Fifth Avenue Faceoff, week two of the show, officially underway. And the first week where we will actually have hockey to talk about. Uh, we will talk about the Colorado Avalanche, who visit PPG Paints Arena this week, and then a West Coast swing that the Pens have. We'll do so with Evan Rawal of Colorado Hockey Now. We will also talk to Seth Rorba of Trib Live. He's been covering the Pens. Uh, Longer than some of you have been alive, to be quite honest, uh, and doing so exceedingly well at both uh, Trib Live and uh, stops before that at uh, the Post Gazette and a few other places as well. Pleased to be joined by Eric Tangrady. Tango, how you doing today? Great, great. Uh, beautiful uh, Monday in Pittsburgh, overcast skies. So uh, you know, just living, <laughs> just like any other day between like October first and April first in Western Pennsylvania. That's it. That's it. Now we're yep. rolling with the punches. Excited to get some uh, some hockey, real hockey, back on the uh, the deck here. That was a tough, tough little weekend there for uh, National Hockey League. I mean, I think it was the talk of the town, and and, and they get they they go with uh, any news is you know, good news or whatever that bad news. Any is publicity is good publicity, right? Whew. Yeah, that was uh, that was something else. But anyways, let's let's get, let's get into it and talk some real hockey. As, as the kids say, that was cringe. Um, that was uh, that was tough. Some of it and. I mean, even, you know, the NFL had the Pro Bowl, too, and I don't know how exciting that was. All-Star games just in general. I don't know if you have any hot takes on All-Star games, but since you brought it up, I mean, I just don't know how you continue to change them without without just doing away with them eventually. That's what it feels like. Yeah, and, and I think that's the direction we're headed, right? When we talk about contact sports, like how do you how do you simulate, how do you replicate, like how do you have anything of substance that people want to watch when – you know, the amount of money these guys are being paid, the, the health, the concern, like all that um, is, is more important than the game. Um, you know, if it were up to me, I mean, I think people are dying for like the World Cup of hockey back. Like, let's just right. give everybody three weeks off and let's just roll with like a competitive World Cup of hockey, meaningful international play. I understand the money's not where it needs to be, but like, let, let's do that because I think that was the most exciting uh, you know, prequel to a hockey season we probably have ever had. Yeah. Uh, when it comes, it comes, it comes to hockey. But yeah, I think when the physical aspect of the game, football, hockey, it's just tough to have anything of substance. Yeah, when there's no stakes involved, you're right. Guys are gonna, guys are gonna coast, and guys aren't gonna look to put themselves in jeopardy. And why should they? Uh, furthermore, so before we get into the Pens specifically, let's talk about the first team they get out of the break. Oh ho hum! You get the Colorado Avalanche. Good luck, boys. Um, so you've got, we won't even get into the second tier of stars on this team, but let's just start with Kale McCarr on the back end and the ability to do just about anything from his defensive position, Nathan McKinnon up front as a coach and you coach at Shady side. So let's pretend you're going up against the team. That's got uh superstar forward talent and a couple guys surrounding him as well. And then a superstar defensive talent. And Oh, by the way, some pretty good guys working with him as well. 
how do you approach a team like this? Do you try to focus on one and take them away? How do you break it down for your guys and tell them uh, who do you attack? You know, what, what's the plan when you go into a game against a team with this much talent? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, when you look at McCarr, like he has the ability to break pucks out of the zone and basically turn every rush into an odd man ride. I mean, you get him with a head of steam, willing the net, like he's almost guaranteed to beat F1. And now we're playing five on four for 150 feet of ice. Um, So it's interesting. Like there's the mentality of like, let's just chip it in his corner and try and run him through the glass all night. Well, that guy has too much deception, too much speed, too much skill that, um, you know, sometimes too much respect can be uh, an issue. And I think that's what happens a lot with McKinnon. Like you focus on making sure you have an F3 above him at all times, above him at all times. But how do you match the speed of Nathan McKinnon when you're above him flat footed without a proper angle? Um, so for me, I, I just think that McCarr is a 20 to 25 minute guy. Um, I, I, arguably it's hard to choose one or the other, but when I look at like true game changers, like McCarr's ability to start breakouts, create offensive odd man rushes just off of his foot speed, his, his skill, uh, and then his ability at the offensive blue line. Like, you know, the, you have to go out with poise and you have to, you know, you're not flying out there to finish a check because the second you get lost, he's behind you. You're behind him. That, that's what I was going to ask. You led right into it. Do you encourage physicality on the four check, like you said, from the F1, the first forward into the zone? Or do you say, hey, you can go in, but be prepared to turn and get on your horse and get back because if he blows by you, we can't have that five on four. Yeah, and I, and I think that's one of the big challenges that kind of presents the Pens, especially going into this matchup. It's like you have home ice, you 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 generally can match lines against a team offensively, but when it comes to a defenseman who's over the boards every other shift, like how do we how do we direct our tasks? Like you know when you have, you have Crosby's line who's very skilled, hard on pucks, but not overly physical, um, you know, and then you have like, you know, the Rust and the, and, and Malkin and those guys like the Zuckers, they can play hard, hard minutes. Um, for me, it's like, let's just sustain, have some sustained offensive zone time. Let's, let's cycle the puck. Let's not be a one and done offensive team. Like let's win battles, pucks low to high to the net. Like let's make him work defensively. So he doesn't have that type of energy to come play offense. So let me ask you this, because as we talk about tactics and uh, how coaches handle a talented team like the Avalanche, let's widen it out and bring it back to a Penguins focused conversation, which, you know, Brian Burke kind of blanched at this conversation last week when it was brought up. uh, And the question was, you know, is Mike Sullivan's message getting stale? And I guess the question for you would be, you know, can the message get stale for a player? And if it does get stale for a player, what needs to happen both in the player's case and in the coach's place to freshen up that message, even if it remains, hey, let's be hard on pucks, F1, chase, chase, you know, if, if, the, if the tactics remain the same, how do you freshen the message, I guess? Yeah, and it kind of comes to just like how the hierarchy of a locker room works, right? Like you, you have coaches who want to provide that spark, you know, show their passion, their desire through their work ethic and video tactically how we're going to play. Um, when it comes to like the keys of the game and details and the way we want to play, like, yes, that message can be tough. Like we talk about Tortorella as a coach, he can come in and he can like freshen up a, a young team and give them some life and desire. And then over time, like, you know, calling guys out in the media and doing a lot of those things like th- that's how you lose a room. Now, that's not the situation here. But what you're saying is like, can can the direct source of the message get uh, a little bit watered down? And yes, absolutely. And I think then it comes down to the leadership group. 
Okay, like you have not just Sid because uh, Sid's uh, at times can be a very vocal leader. Like after that, it has to kind of come from somebody who doesn't talk a whole lot, right? You have those unsung heroes in your locker rooms, the type of guys who, um, you know, let their play do their talking that might just have to step up in the room and say like, boys, like it's time, like it's time to get moving. Like we all understand, we believe, but we, we got to get going here. When does the switch get flipped from, and, and the Penguins are a big lead by example team, right? Like Sid, uh, Latang, Gino, there's not a lot of, unless you're in the playoffs and things are at a certain point, it doesn't feel like anyway, from my untrained eye, that they're going to stand up in the room and start, you know, throwing down gauntlets and challenges. They're more of a, hey, I'm going to go out and bust my ass. Now it's your job to follow. Um, when you have that kind of leadership in place, when does it? When do you recognize that the switch has to get flipped and it does have to become a, a, a vocal leadership move in the room rather than, hey, I'll just go out and bust my rear end and they'll follow? Yeah, I think that's what makes Sid so great as a leader. I think he has the ability to be able to read locker rooms. Um, he he's not afraid to pull a guy aside and be like, hey, like need you to say something tonight. Like it's it's getting a little stale for me. Um, you know, all that guy wants to do is win, and his work ethic and practice, his game. Like there is not a single person in that room that um, isn't motivated to play, isn't motivated to go through a wall for their leadership group. So um, I think that will also come from the top as far as like where the message needs to be heard, what the message is, and and how they have how how they go about things moving forward. Now, with I, I kind of look at this next four-game segment as as a big one coming out of the break, obviously. Colorado, a, a big-time opponent at home, one of the favorites in the Western Conference. And then the three-game trip out west that we talked about a little bit last week, Kings, Ducks, Sharks. Two of those games I look at, you got to win. I know you had to go to OT to beat the Ducks last month, but you should win. The Sharks are tearing things down as we speak, becoming even worse as the trade deadline approaches, or at least reducing the amount of talent available to them. So I look at it as a fan from, hey, give me a minimum, bare minimum on this four-game segment is four points in the standings. Five is is more like is more like it, I'll be satisfied with. And if you can somehow get six out of these next four games, then I'll feel like we've turned the corner, so to speak, and things are back on track. Um, how do you look at it with Colorado, LA, Anaheim, and San Jose sitting on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I actually like if I'm a player and I know the guys are probably thinking the same way, like they love that they get a chance to play Colorado after the break, right? Like the the mentality of probably us sitting on the sidelines is like, oh, man, we could use that San Jose game to get back in the groove here after break. Like, no, let's go after the beast. Let's go after the dragon right away. Let's play it and then let's get moving on. So uh, I think this is an awesome test. They're at home, um, you know, a, a little bit of a break. Guys getting away, coming back. Um, I think this is an awesome test for this team. And uh, I think they're mature enough to not look too far ahead and to say like, you know, we're going on a road trip. Like, no, we got to take care of business at home on Tuesday. I think this one game to me um, is arguably ju like just as important as the next three, because I think this sets the tone for what type of hockey team the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be um, coming off the all-star break. And, and I'll be honest, like we look at the standings, like, of course we're hard on this team because we have expectations of them. Like right. they're, they're 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 in a good spot. Like it's not like this the season's over, but you're right. This this road trip, this game against Colorado, like this sets the stage for like what type of Pittsburgh Penguins team are we going to have coming down the stretch? Well, yeah, you know, I was talking to Jenna Harner last week, last Friday, and she she you know just mentioned the bare math sitting in front of them, but it's a really good point to remind ourselves of because they've got games in hand on a few teams, and they're, and they're right on Washington's heels. 
if they could find a way to leapfrog Washington, okay, that'll get you into the first wild card spot. But then all of a sudden, you know, and understandably, I think that the Devils have the Canucks tonight at home. The Rangers have the Flames tonight at home. So they pre- they've probably got points in the standings that they'll gain on the Pens. But if you can start, you know, sort of just chipping away at it, you know, you've got four games in hand on the Caps, pass them first. And then once you pass them and you're within a couple weeks of shouting distance of the trade deadline, maybe you can start to chase down the Rangers. And before you know it, if you can get out of those wild card spots and start to look at a first round matchup in your division, against the Devils or the Rangers. Well, that that I think would change things, but you're right. It all starts with the Avalanche busting out of the, the break tonight. And it's it's a really good point you make. Like, as fans, we look at it and go, man, just get, give me the Ducks or the Sharks, please, so these guys can find their feet. But if you want to see if, if these guys took advantage of the break and they're really, truly ready, Colorado's the test that you want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like like we talk about, <clears throat> preparation's going to be key. You get a home game. Um, let's, let's just see how motivated, how determined we are as a hockey team to feel like, all right, we got away. We, we know that we've had some unacceptable, um, type of games coming into the break. Like, let's just show ourselves because ultimately like as a team, they're trying to prove to themselves. They, they could really care less about us, but as, as entertainers, like, of course we, we are concerned and care a whole lot about what our local teams do, but they want to prove to each other, like we're here, we're here, we're ready. Like we're, we're, we're a legit contender and we don't want to just be looked at as a bubble team. Um, when you go to the the road trip type thing, like I agree with you, like four points is almost just like, okay, we went out there, we, we did what we needed to do and we got back. Uh, I look at it like you, like good, great, amazing, like four five and six points. They come back with six points. Um, they get the devils. Uh, they play the Islanders, the devils back to back. They get, you know, a couple of those big games going into that. Like, now we're playing home game against New Jersey. We've just run off a couple really solid games, some wins, and like let's get moving up the standings. So what do you think the plan is? They're flying out on Wednesday night, I believe it is, after practice. They'll have all day Thursday in L.A., um, including a practice that day. So what's, you know, I imagine this is prime opportunity for the team dinner, uh, the credit cards go in the hat, all that kind of stuff. Um it, Who's the one that organizes that? Who's the guy that says, "Hey, boys, we gotta let's let's get out and get get together tonight"? And and is it Sid? Is it somebody else? How's that work? Yeah, that that kind of changes, right? It all changes. Um, the culture of teams kind of adapt year to year. Like you look at a guy like Jeff Petrie in Montreal, like he may have been a catalyst for making sure families are getting together, but now he's on a new team. Like Carter, same thing. One of the veteran guys. Um, I, I just think they have a great mix of veterans young and kind of those intermediate uh, intermediate like prime players that um i'm sure someone's taking care of arrangements and and just kind of like to kind of give the 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 listener the perspective of kind of how the like the, the nhl level works like in junior hockey you you basically eat sleep play hockey with all your junior teammates because you're teenagers right you go to the american hockey league you have about three to five guys who have kids and then 18 guys go to dinner every single day, lunch every day, and practice every day. So once you get to the NHL, when, you know, everybody wants to believe, like, this team is completely bonded and they all love each other, which is true, but, you know, more than half the team's married, more than half the team has kids. So these guys at home pretty much wake up, either bring their kids to school, go to the rink for practice, head home with their families. They don't truly have a whole lot of time to just, like, sit back and like just enjoy each other's company and help bring a group together. So I think that's what's so important about this road trip. Like you talked about, like they're going to go out there Wednesday, they're going to have team breakfast together, team lunch together, team dinners together. Like this, 
is a great opportunity for this group to get as close as they're ever going to get throughout the season. And that's why I think sometimes teams play their best hockey on some of these road trips and really try to find themselves in their identity of who they want to be. So I think this is an, an awesome time for this team to just get away. Uh, they did the whole thing with their families. So it's, let's get away. Let's take care of it. It's a business trip. But at the same time, like let's grow uh, as a team as well. Well, it's funny. I, some of the things that come to mind, because I heard Hextall talk the other day about, uh, he was asked about Evgeny Malkin specifically. And he talked about, you know, uh, Gino's kind of straight laced around me. This is Hextall speaking, but I know he can be a little mischievous in the room and he's one of the guys having fun, keeping the group together. Um, and it got me to thinking about, you know, I remember some of the old inside uh, Penguins hockey shows on what was then FS1, it's now AT&T, where you'd see the classic pranks. You'd see like, Flower take somebody's entire hotel room and set it up in the hallway, for example. So what, who, what, what give me one prank story from Eric Tangrady's days in the league that made that just eclipses all of them. Who, who was it? If you can share names, because who knows how wild it got. Um, but what, what's the best prank Eric Tangrady saw on the road? Well, I, there was a lot of, I mean, really good ones, like some that were just like, you know, I've seen guys get their suits cut in half and they had to walk out of the rink in basically suit shorts. Um, I've seen guys' toes or their their dress shoes cut off so they make a nice, really nice pair of dress shoes look like moccasin sandals. Um, I don't want to give names on that, but like one of my favorite pranks that I ever got was uh, the day I got traded from the Penguins to the Jets, the next game we both played was the Penguins versus the Jets. So it was the first game after I got traded. So when you get traded, you just get basically sent into the hotel of the new city you're playing in until you have time to find a place. Well, mm -hmm. it turns out like I was in the Fairmont and the Penguins were staying at the Fairmont. So the day after I get traded, I get like a knock on my door, like 530. And I open my door and it's a full trash can full of water. And as I open the door, the whole thing pours all over my feet and into my room. So... I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, you're a 20 whatever year old kid, like the emotions of being traded, like the last thing you're doing is like laughing. You're as intense right. as you'll ever be. You're a little bit ticked off. You're excited. I open the door and I get this whole trash can full of water all over my legs, my body, my whole room soaked. So I just stand out in the hallway and all I hear is this little giggle. I hear a giggle <laughs> again and I walk over and it's flower. It gives me a big hug and he's like, you think you're off the hook just because you got traded, kid? Like, no way. Um, and to me, it was like the greatest thing in the world. It just shows like, you know, yes, this business is competitive. It's nasty. But like at the end of the day, we're just boys that love to play the game. Of hockey. And the first thing that Marc-Andre Fleury wanted to do after I got traded was find my hotel room, fill up an entire trash can full of water and tilt it on my door so that when I opened it, I got absolutely soaked. So um, that's the type of stuff like when you talk about like Malkin being laid back, like when I think about him, like he is loves the like, cocky is so fun to him. He's intense. He wants to win. But like he always has a smile on his face and he brings energy in that aspect of a room. Like you have your more serious guys, you have your laid back guys. And I think that balance uh, is really important for, for for teams to like, you know, if we feel they're in a tough stretch right now, like sometimes guys want to hang their heads low and feel bad for themselves. Like, no, you can guarantee Gino's coming to the rink with a smile, like telling jokes and is excited to get on the ice for practice. Did you give Flurry a little snowplow the next little spray the, the, the next night or what? I mean... A little, little, little fun run at the flower after that? 
Well, was, uh, that game was like so intense. It was like so much hitting and it was a closed game. And then I just like go to the net front and he's just like big smile on his face. Like talk about a little, a, a grown man that was in a little, you know, a little boy in a grown man's body. Like the right. way he played goalie in the, in the biggest moments, in the biggest games. Like that's the first thing he wanted to tell me after a whistle to face. I was like, how, how, you still wet, buddy? Like awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome experience. So great. Uh, great stuff, Tango. Uh, I'll let you run. Thanks for a couple minutes today. We'll catch you up again on Wednesday. We'll actually have a game to bring down uh and the first of 33 down the stretch here for the pens thanks for making the time we'll catch up later in the week okay yeah looking forward to it. i got that i got a 4-3 pens win tomorrow night we're gonna discuss that 4-3 win on wednesday all right i like it that would be a huge way to start the stretch run i like it thanks eric you got it. talk to you soon